Listener Production. Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain. This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. All right. Hello and welcome, my beautiful beans. Welcome to the episode of today. So today I'm going to be covering the topic of your reputation. So when it comes to your reputation, oh my God, there's so much that I want to talk about. But reputation is basically your way of earning what it is that you're known for and what you know yourself for. It's something that you have to earn. It's something that has to be obviously repeated enough times for you to be able to gain that reputation. It's a really good way of also building on self-respect, following through with promises to yourself. And it's also how people can come to trust and rely on you. So if you can really look at what is my reputation, what do I like about it, what don't I like about it, then you're able to do something about it and change it. The, the One of my favorite things about a reputation is no matter what your current reputation is, you can always change it. People have done it. It's been demonstrated like millions of times over. You can change your reputation, but of course it takes a lot of time and effort. And I'm going to be talking about everything about your reputation and why it's so important to look at it and why it's so valuable and then how you can go about, you know, the steps to edit and alter your reputation until you're really happy with it. Cool. So that is going to be the topic of today. We're going to do a little brain fact. The brain fact is going to be on the ceiling effect of drugs. You guys know how much I love pharmacology. So anything when it comes to drugs and their action on the brain or the body, I just can't get enough of. Um, Little life update. I went to... Oh, good times. I went to my two really good friends wedding on Sunday. It was a Sunday wedding and... It was uh, just the best gay wedding ever. It was unbelievable. Zach and Joe, hottest husbands you've ever seen in your life. Can't even explain. If you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen images of them and you fucking know. We had such a good time. And normally I'm one of those people that I'm not my 22-year-old self anymore. I'm kind of like if I do go out or if I have a quote-unquote, you know, big wild night, I'm normally tapping out by you know, midnight, 1am, I'm kind of like, oh, I've experienced everything there is to experience, see ya, and I go home. I was on that dance floor until 3.30 in the morning and I just, yeah, it was great. I was seriously considering going to the after-after party because it was so fun, but I thought, best I don't. And then Tyrone and I were just (laughs) such a wreck yesterday. Um, So we just went to Chinatown and ate all the food and it was unbelievable. So that's my life update. Good times. Now I'm just going to live in my health and wealth space of health and, well, probably not wealth, but wellness, I would say. Anyway, let's get on to the topic of the brain fact. So the brain fact is all about the ceiling effect of drugs. So firstly, what is a ceiling effect? I have actually spoken about this when I talk about certain drugs before, and I've mentioned if they do or don't have a ceiling effect. So I'm going to dive deeper into it. It basically refers to a situation where as the dose of the drug increases, the drug's effect plateaus or basically reaches a maximum level of influence on the body and more doses or more increase in that drug does not result in a greater response. That is what a ceiling effect is. So basically there is a ceiling on its effect. There's like 
a limit to the drug's effectiveness. And once that limit is reached, you can keep taking more drugs, but you're not going to produce additional benefits or a stronger response. When a drug exhibits a ceiling effect, the benefit of this in a clinical setting or in clinical scenarios is that, of course, the risk of harmful responses or excessive side effects is reduced. So that is why drugs with a ceiling effect are normally going to be the safer option because even if the patient accidentally takes too much or they're not administering it properly, you know that there's not going to be excessively dangerous side effects due to that. Um, now, with, for example, with pain relief medication, having a ceiling effect means that kind of at a certain dose, the pain relief is maximized without a significant increase in side effects or without a risk of overdose. But then it also means that once that that ceiling is reached, if the person is still in pain, then, you know, they're not going to get any more benefits out of it. So that's where you've got to kind of look at, you know, are you going to administer something with a ceiling effect and then risk the patient still being in a lot of pain because it's not hitting the spot or the other way and have something with a no ceiling effect, but then there could be all these other side effects. So having a no ceiling effect, this characteristic is associated with drugs that work through something called like full receptor activation. And basically you're looking at, are you reaching a saturation point of the receptors or you're not reaching a saturation point of the receptors that are being targeted to activate, you know, the cells or whatever. So there would be several reasons to have a no ceiling effect. So the first one would be dose individualization. So some patients might require a much higher dose of a drug to achieve an effect, like a therapeutic effect, due to how their body metabolizes the drug, due to their body weight, due to several factors. And without a ceiling effect, the dosage can be adjusted to meet individuals' needs because every single person will metabolize a drug slightly differently. And so that's why sometimes drugs are administered based on body weight or based on, you know, all these other factors. So that's one reason why you would have a no ceiling effect. The next one is severity of condition. So you have all these medical conditions where a higher dose of the drug might be required so it can effectively manage these symptoms. Um, so this gives you way more flexibility in how you prepare the the dosage for this, the particular disease that you're dealing with. Another one is tolerance. So patients can very often develop a drug tolerance, which means that you have to increase the dose every so often to keep that same level of effectiveness. Sometimes some a certain way of um, your body building up tolerance is that your body starts producing more receptors that can be activated and therefore you need to have more of the drug because there's more receptors. Um, and that's all to do with like plasticity and how your brain is adapting and trying to always keep this homeostatic level. So yeah, drugs that don't have a ceiling effect can accommodate that need for the escalation in the dose. Then we've got variability in response. So patients might vary in their responsiveness to a drug. So sometimes a lower dose is sufficient, while other times a higher dose is needed to achieve the exact same effect as for the other patient. Uh, and then clinical flexibility as well. So no ceiling effect allows doctors, you know, clinicians to adjust the drug doses based on their clinical needs for the therapy that they need. So now it's important to know that not all drugs have a ceiling effect. So the presence or the absence of this ceiling effect is something to really know about the drug's 
pharmacological profile, okay? Because when you're prescribing medication or when you're using medication, you have to, you know, take into consideration what is the most appropriate drug for the individual patient, you know? So that's why when you're prescribing drugs for someone to take home with them, you're ideally the first line of treatment is often going to be something that's going to be the safest thing because, you know, if a patient's administering something on themselves, people, obviously, we know what humans are like. They may or may not listen to the instructions of how it's supposed to be taken. Now, drugs that don't exhibit a ceiling effect are often the ones that work through mechanisms that allowing for like a dose-dependent response. So this means that as the dose of the drugs increase, the effect continues to rise and it just doesn't reach a maximum or a plateau. And these drugs are associated with full receptor activation. Um, so basically we're most off or all the receptors are being activated. So here are some examples of these drug classes that normally don't have a ceiling effect. So you've got opioid analgesics, that's opioid pain treatment, pain medication, like morphine, oxycodone, fentanyl. They don't have a ceiling effect on pain relief. So as the dose increases, the pain relief effect will intensify, it will increase. And then, of course, higher doses lead to increased side effects and increased risks because it keeps, it keeps you know, having an effect on the body. Um, so we all know that opioids can be extremely addictive and extremely dangerous. And one of the reasons for this is this no-ceiling effect. Then we've got beta-2 agonists. That's drugs like albuterol, things to treat asthma and other respiratory conditions. So you don't have a ceiling effect on that. So if you increase the dose you get more of a significant bronchodilation, just improved airflow. So I always struggled with asthma as a kid, still do now, but when I was a kid, it was really fucking bad. And there'd be times where just one puff of Ventolin's fine. And then other times where no Ventolin could do <laughs> anything and I'd have to be hospitalized for like a week at a time on a nebulizer and they'd be able to breathe perfectly fine, obviously because the dose was significantly higher and there was that added effect where I could then breathe. Um, so you see that a lot with, with you know, anyone that suffers from asthma, they would know one puff is not as good as 10 puffs, etc. Then we've got anticoagulants. So this is medications like uh, warfarin. So that's for to prevent blood clots in the body. Um, they don't have a, a ceiling effect. So obviously the effect will increase with the dose. And of course, the higher risk of that is a higher risk of bleeding. So you want to make sure that you're taking the right dose and no higher than what is necessary. Then we've got anti-inflammatory steroids. So glucocorticoid steroids, such as like prednisone, they don't have a ceiling effect in general. And, you know, so if you, if you really need to suppress the immune system, you're taking a higher dose and a higher and a higher and a higher dose. But of course, there's adverse effects. There's a lot of side effects from taking steroids. Then we've got insulin, which is used to lower blood sugar levels in, in uh, sufferers of diabetes. And then antibiotics. So things like penicillin and many other kinds of antibiotics don't have a ceiling effect. So a higher dose can provide better eradication of bacteria. And of course, there's always going to be increased adverse side effects for all the above that I just mentioned. So it's also really important to note that while the drugs don't have a ceiling effect in terms of like therapeutic effects, they might have like a dose-related side effect and there's a lot of uh, considerations around safety for, for the patient. So it's all about balancing risk versus reward when it comes to, you know, administering a drug. 
Oh, and then, of course, it's important to note that drugs with a ceiling effect are not always safer than drugs without a ceiling effect. So their safety depends on a lot of factors, including like the intended use of the drug, the patient and the context for which the drug is given. And then lastly, another thing to consider is something, is this pharmacodynamics versus pharmacokinetics. And that's how your body interacts with the drug versus how the drug is interacting with your body, um, which that's for a whole nother brain fact episode. So that is the brain fact on today. So if you, if you ever see anything about a drug having a ceiling effect or a no ceiling effect, now you understand what that means in relation to how it's acting on your receptors within your body. Now I want to get into the topic of today, which is all about your reputation. I want to talk about why your reputation is so important. And I'm also going to talk about um, how what you can do to edit your reputation or to change your reputation. I'm also going to talk about what makes it so difficult to change your reputation. Like why do people get stuck in their ways so heavily? What are the reasons behind that? Because I think if you can understand why do I keep doing this thing why even in the times that I've attempted to try it, do I end up going back to my old ways? Once you can really shed a light on it and understand it, then you can preempt your behaviors and you can put things into place, put tools and structures into place to give you more chances of success in the future. Because I think often we'll have a goal of like, I want to change this or I want to start doing this more often. And then you try, you start, and then you regress back to where you were. And then you think, oh, fuck, you know, I'm now I'm really going to try. I'm really going to do it this time. And then you try and it, and it, and then you're back to square one. And then you think, ah, oh, and then a month later again. So that's kind of pointless because you're, you're showing yourself how I've been going about it isn't working for me yet. I'm going to keep banging my head against the wall and go about it again. I think if you can look at your behaviors and say, okay, right. For the last three times I've tried, it's just not happened for me. Why? What can I look about my behavior and be like, all right, that's not working for me. That's not working for me. Now that I understand what I'm doing and what my behaviors and thought patterns are, I can tackle this a different way. I think you should always try time and time again and not give up. But I think it's important to edit how you get to your goals if you're failing in the same way again and again and again. Sometimes it's not good enough to just keep trying. Sometimes you've got to be like, all right, I am going to keep trying, but I've got to go about it differently. Because to set the same goal with the same parameters in the same way and failing every single time, you're basically setting yourself up to not believe that you can do something in the future. You want to set yourself up to be able to have faith in yourself. And that's where looking at the reasons of why you think it's so hard and how you can edit that will help you moving forward. Okay, let's start with why is your reputation so important? Your reputation, number one, is so important because it has nothing to do with what you wish for, what you want, or what you say about yourself. It is your track record. It is a like a, a receipt, a printout. It is a description of who you have been up until right now. That is what your reputation is, okay? No matter what you say, no matter how much you bullshit, no matter how much you try and change it, actions speak. That is your reputation, okay? Secondly, it, I love it because it must be earned. It can't be bought, borrowed, stolen, gifted. It has to be earned, good or bad. Your good reputation and your bad reputation, you've got to earn it. There's no other way. You can't tell people about it 
has to be seen, witnessed, and experienced. Thirdly, it's about a repeated behavior, okay? Not one action, not one gesture can grant you a reputation. There's no shortcuts. You can't do one really good thing and have the reputation of being a really good person after doing one good thing. You also can't fuck up once and then everyone thinks, oh, you've got the reputation as a fuck up. That's the beauty of it. If you've got a track record and you slip up once, that doesn't ruin your reputation. We're talking about a repeated pattern of behavior that earns you a reputation, not a once-off. Kind of what you see is what you get. The next thing is that it's an honest signal about a person's character. What you see is what you get. And because it's this repeated thing and there is consistency, there is no benefit of the doubt that maybe they did it this one time or maybe they stuffed up. It's got to be a consistent pattern of behavior. It's extremely honest and it doesn't lie. So when someone has a reputation for doing something, you know it's because several people have observed this behavior in this person several times. Okay? That's what I love about it. You can't hide away from a reputation, good or bad. The next thing that I love about it is that only you can change your reputation. Nobody can change your reputation for you. No one can even, they can inspire you or encourage you, but you're the only one that can do it. You're the only one that can help yourself with changing your reputation. Yes, people can try and tarnish your reputation here and there, but I'm talking about people that actually know you. Okay, that people that interact with you on a regular basis that decide, am I going to have this person in my life or am I not? Do I want to hang out with this person or do I not? Do I want to trust this person or not? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that is only something that you can change. And lastly, it has to do with decisions and choices. Okay, it's not a permanent trait. You can't get a reputation for a permanent trait, it has to be about a choice or a decision that you make consciously or even subconsciously, but it is conscious, okay? If you are always late every single time, that is a choice. It is a choice to not try and organize yourself better next time. It is a choice to not be more organized. It is a choice, okay? And you have a reputation for being late always because you have chosen to A, continue to be late or B, not do anything about it. You can't have a reputation for having blue eyes. That's a permanent character. That's a permanent physical trait. We're talking about choices and decisions here. All right? So what I love about that is that anyone can change their reputation. And you see situations where you have someone who might do a complete 180 on their lifestyle. Someone who, for example, was, you know, the biggest party animal or, you know, had just no consistency in their life and they never followed through with anything and they always were a flake and were not reliable to then flipping that completely around and being someone who's always on time, super reliable, who's a really hard worker, who has a reputation for always following through with what they say, you know, and it doesn't happen overnight because it's got to be earned, but you can be someone who people will then look at you and be like, oh my God, you used to be X, Y, Z but now you are X, Y, Z. So you can change your reputation to be whatever you want it to be. You can write it, but you have to, it has to be shown in your actions. You you could tell people all day and all night, but I'm going to do this and I'm going to become this person and I promise and I promise. It means nothing. The beauty about a reputation is it doesn't matter about your promises. It doesn't matter about what you pledge. You have to show it. And that is your reputation. Now, 
why is it so difficult for people to be changing their reputation and to edit their reputation? Okay, the first one is obviously it's the effort that's involved with it. So it takes many times of doing something different for it to become your reputation. So effort without reward initially can be really disheartening or really like demotivating. I think a lot of people will be like, okay, well, say, say, say your partner always says to you, you know, you never help around the house or you never this or you never that. If you decide I'm going to change my reputation, I'm going to, I'm going to start to put in an effort around the house. If you clean up the kitchen one day and you're sitting there like, waiting for, you know, your partner to notice. And then you say, well, I cleaned the kitchen. And they're like, yeah, great. You cleaned the kitchen once. Good on you. Then you kind of think, oh, fuck, like here I am putting in the effort. I thought I might as well not bother. I might as well, you know, a lot of people, you know, they'll try and change their reputation. But because you've got this track record, people are, they might be sick of your shit already. So doing it once doesn't mean that much. Yeah, it's lovely. But they're like, wait till I say it consistently because you might do it once and I give you all the praise and you go back to doing your own thing. Like people sometimes are like, they're so sick of other people's shit that they need to see a permanent change. So sometimes the effort involved in earning your new reputation, it's a bit of a slog. It's like a, it's months in the making sometimes. Sometimes it's less depending on what it is that we're referring to, but in general, it takes time and that is effort. And a lot of the time that effort isn't rewarded until way later. So people get demotivated, especially if it's something that requires a lot of effort, like becoming a morning person and, and changing your morning routine and training really hard every day and blah, 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 blah. That, that can take a lot of time. It also has to be for something that you genuinely care about. It's got to be for the right reasons because it's something that you've got to consistently put in a lot of effort to do so, especially if you're changing a behavior, not just bringing one in, but like completely editing a behavior. So that's another reason why it's going to be really difficult because if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, if you're only doing it because someone is wanting you to do it, then how long are you going to be able to stick it out for? Can you actually turn this into your reputation or not? Another thing that's really big is that you're afraid of looking like a fool or an idiot or failing and then people saying, oh, this person's tried to change and then they keep going back to their old ways and they try to change. And, you know, if you're wanting to change something about your lifestyle, if you want to change a personality trait, if you want to change, you know, you, you, you used to be this fun party animal and now you want to change it to be this sober, really, you know, organized person, you're kind of worried about what that could look like from an outside perspective. And, Another reason why it's really difficult is that it's really difficult to, sometimes when you want to change one aspect of your reputation, it means letting go of a big part of your life or a big part of your identity. So people think, well, as much as I'd love to stop doing this for health reasons or for whatever, um, people are going to look at me differently now. And then who am I going to be? What are people going to, you know, see me as? So a great example of this, I think I actually gave this as an example a few episodes ago, maybe a few months ago, but basically... I was watching a TikTok video and this woman was talking about that she had like a severe alcohol problem, but it wasn't ever really looked at as an alcohol problem because it was always coupled with like partying. So it's not like she's alone drinking bottles of alcohol. She's like partying and she's the life of the party and everyone knew her as the fun person. That was her reputation. Her reputation was the one that you could call on for a good time and she was there no matter what, consistently the person. And she was like, 
that part of my life was soaring high because everyone had this, you know, really great opinion of me. I was the funnest person. But every other part of my life was falling apart. So she made this executive decision. She's like, that's it. I'm done. I am done. I'm quitting alcohol. I can't do this anymore. And she says that a lot of that journey came with this the death of her old self of, you know, who am I now? What's my identity? And this is why she avoided quitting alcohol for so long because she's like, who will I be in the eyes of everyone else if I'm not the fun party friend? Are people going to think I'm boring? Will people even want to hang out with me? I now have to edit aspects of who I am as a friend. So I now have to learn not only just that one trait of giving up the alcohol, but I now have to learn how to edit other aspects of my life, like how I relate with people and to people because the absence of alcohol and the absence of partying, like who am I now? So I think a lot of people would be in a similar position to her and not just with alcohol. This is just the example because it's such a great one, but people can look at that and be like, yeah, I'd like to change this about me, but then who would I be? People know this is me. This is, this is such a strong trait about me. And while it might not be healthy or good for me, it's my identity. And to change that would mean changing so much. So, you know, it sometimes feels like you're starting from scratch. It's this loss of part of your identity and you have to mourn that. And needless to say, this woman who was doing the TikTok, she said that, you know, that process happened and her friendships had to change and evolve. And she said that they did change and they did evolve and it was great, but it wasn't, you know, the, the friendships that she used to have, still the same people, but like the actual relationship had to evolve. And she said, apart from that one death of my identity, everything else in her life got better. And she just instantly became all of a sudden, quote unquote, lucky. Like everything just started falling into place. Everything started working for her, probably because she was a lot more alert, a lot more focused in a really good headspace. She was a lot happier about herself. She didn't have anxiety anymore. All these, you know, beneficial things happened for her. But it took this massive shift and a change in her reputation, which took months to earn. It wasn't, guys, I'm not drinking anymore. And then that's it. Her reputation's changed. It was like months in the making and now people view her as a different kind of friend. She's not the friend that they call on to party. She's now their, you know, friend that they call on for conversation and advice and dinners and things like that. So, but a lot of people do feel like you're letting go a big part of your life. And that is why it's actually quite difficult for people to change that aspect of their reputation. Now that only applies to certain things, obviously not all things. It's not like you think, oh, I can't stop being late because what will people think? You know, there's certain things that you're like, well, that's something that I could easily change that everyone would benefit from. So there's all kinds of reputations. There's all kinds of titles that you can have. So are you, and this, and there's good and bad. There's, are you a morning person? Are you the life of the party? A good driver? Always late? Someone who cares a lot? Are you generous? Are you known to be helpful? Are you lazy? Are you is your reputation your hard worker, reliable, you're consistent? Are you a flake, someone that always cancels? Are you someone who is reactive and always snaps easily? Do you have the reputation of being defensive? Um, someone who can't keep secrets? Are you someone who spread rumors, spreads rumors and everyone knows that so they don't ever open up to you about their own secrets because they think you're going to, you know, you're someone who loves to gossip. Are you a cheater? Are you stubborn? Are you someone who achieves anything they put their mind to? Are you a night owl, a gym person? So there's all kinds of labels for your reputation. So I think it's really good that you sit down and look at kind of 
what do I want my reputation to be like? And what is my reputation right now? You can even, it's actually interesting to even ask people, how would you describe me to somebody else who, who, where I'm not there, who's never met me? What would be kind of the rundown that you would give them if you were to say, oh, I'm going to describe, you know, if I ask my friend, oh, how would you describe Alexis without me being there as, as far as her lifestyle goes? And then, you know, and then decide, does that align with what I would want to hear? You know, because if they start saying, oh, they're like a really fun person, but they're a fucking flake, you can't really rely on them, but they're great when you're with them and blah, 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 and, you know, what do you want to be said about you? Not because you care so much about what people saying, but what is it saying about your behavior on a consistent basis? Okay. So let's talk about how you can actually go about changing your reputation. Number one, of course, identify the behavior that you want to change or that you want to bring in. And you want to identify also the decision around why you've kept this current behavior if it's not working for you or why it's been so difficult to change the behavior that you want to bring into your life, that you want to implement into your life, okay? So it's, I think it's really important to look at like, okay, I've wanted to become uh, like a hardworking person. I want to be known for being a hardworking person. When have I tried to do this? Why has it failed? And what have my, what's been my thought process around not actually following through with changing or postponing when I'm going to make that change. What is my thought process around it? Is it because it's just basically too hard and maybe I need to find another way of tackling it? Is it because it's changing my identity? Like what is the thought process behind my lack of action into changing it or my inability to change it? Then I want you to write down, if I couldn't tell people through my words, how would they describe me through my actions as it stands right now? Okay. And like I said, you can ask someone or you can just kind of presume you make an, you make, you get a really good idea of what you think they would say. Okay. And from that, you'll get a good idea of what it is that you love about your reputation. Cause there's going to be a lot of good there for sure. Everyone's going to have some good things. And I don't want you just writing the bad things. I want you writing all the things that you would be known for good and bad. So you've got an even spread of like this is fucking awesome. I love that people know this about me. I love this about me. It's like a really good trait that I have versus, yep, this is something that keeps showing up and it's something I can't hide. Everyone sees it and I really am ready to change this thing. And then I want you to write down, what would my dream reputation be? What would I love to be known for? No matter what my history is, no matter what my past is, in a dream scenario, what would be my ideal reputation? What would I love people to describe me as? If someone said, oh, describe this person in, in with three sentences, what would be the top three things I'd love them to say about me? And they've all got to be based around reputation. Get creative. Just think, what do I value the most? Would it be something about my kindness? Would it be that I'm known as someone who just doesn't give up, who's, you know, headstrong, who when they put their mind to something, they follow through with that thing no matter what. They have, you know, grit. They've got determination. Is that what you're known for? Think about it. Have a little brainstorm. Write a million things down. Pick the top three, top four, top five things that you want. You would want your dream reputation to be. Now I want you to look at why it is that you haven't changed yet. Because if it's something that you've tried to change before, then like I said at the start of the episode, we need to rethink how it is that we're going to get there next time, you know? 
So you've got to ask yourself, why is it that in the past I've caved and gone back to my old ways? Um, what is causing me to do that? Is it because I haven't found an important enough reason to follow through? Is it because I've not really thought about the consequences? Is it because there's not actually been immediate consequences? Because a lot of the time, if there's no immediate consequence, we don't look at it with urgency. And what I mean by that is you probably, if you're someone who's always late, as an example, you would probably be like, oh, I'm late to my friend's dinner, but there's like more than one person there. It doesn't really matter if I'm going to be late. Who cares if we all have to wait to order food? There's no real consequence versus I'm going to be late to this flight to Europe for an epic holiday. No fucking chance in hell I'm making that flight. Notice the immediate consequence. The difference is that with your friends, there might not be a consequence immediately, but then if it keeps going on and on and on and on and you're always late, they're going to start, you know, just not being able to rely on you to be there. They're not going to want to do a one-on-one catch-up because they're like, am I going to be sitting here for an hour like an idiot because you're never on time and so I can't rely that you're going to be there on time. So what time do I rock up because you're literally X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? So you have to look at if there hasn't been an immediate consequence to this action that you want to change. That might be a reason why you haven't changed. But then you've got to think about what are the long-term consequences of me not changing and write them all down and then say, am I okay with these long-term consequences? Am I okay with people thinking this about me or people having this thought about me? Or even if it's not about other people, am I okay with that lifestyle? Is it beneficial to me? Is it beneficial to my mental health, to my brain, to my physical body? And if it's not harmful or not beneficial, then maybe that's your answer. Maybe it's like, it's just not important enough to me. And that is fine. If you're like, there's no real long-term consequence to this. It's just something I'd like to change. That's probably why you haven't changed it. And that's perfectly fine because you don't have to change everything that you think would be ideal, but you do have to determine what is going to really sting me long-term in the future. And what am I going to do about it? Because you might have a list of 10 things but then really realize that five of those things would be nice to change, but really it's not going to, you know. And five of those things, if you don't change them, you'll be kicking yourself in five, 10, 20 years time, like kicking yourself in six months time. So I think it's really good to look at it and ask yourself, what does this mean for my future consequence wise? Because I can tell you right now, when you've identified an immediate consequence, you've done something about it before it's hurt you or before it's stung you. It's always when there's no immediate consequence that you're like, oh yeah, I can fucking, I can push this. I can get away with this, but at what cost? So then ask yourself, at what cost am I getting away with this? Because often you don't get away with it. It will come back to bite you in all kinds of different ways because people don't rely on you. They don't trust you. They just don't take you seriously. They then go to someone else for that kind of thing that they need. It can impact your relationships. And of course it can impact your relationship with yourself. I think when you look at how you put in a reputation in place for yourself, if you can follow through with a promise to yourself, if you can stick to your own promise, what does that say to you about you? A lot. It says, I've prioritized myself. I've said, no matter what, no matter what, I'm going to do this for myself. I have to do this for myself. Because if, I, if I'm happy to do things for other people, but not me, where is that leaving me on the rung of importance with people and things in my life? So as you start following through with a commitment, following through with the promise to yourself uh, to change your reputation, to change certain things about yourself, you start to respect yourself more. You start to really look at yourself through a different lens. And the more you do that, 
the easier it becomes to follow through with more things because you've got a track record. You've got a reputation with yourself. Okay, that's the beauty of it. Reputations are great for your relationships outside of you because relationships are crucial for a fulfilled life, healthy relationships. But it's super important for yourself because of your relationship with yourself. And then another thing that I really want you to think about is a lot of the time when people are wanting to make a change, they're worried about what people will say. You've changed. You're trying to change. Uh, you're going to change. Oh, ha, ha, you're trying to all this shit. But you've got to look at it as A, people are always going to resist change. That's just inevitable. Well, maybe not everyone, but I would say most people resist change. Even if it ends up being really good, even look at it when there's a software update on your devices. It's like, oh, this is so shit. It's only because you don't like change. But then you realize, wait a minute, if I never updated my software, I'd still be where it was five years ago. And it's so much better now. People just don't like change initially. We're just resistant to it. So when you're changing, the people around you, even if it's for the better ultimately, when you're trying to make these big changes in your life, people are going to maybe laugh at you or think it's weird or think, oh my God, good luck. Or they might say, oh, you've changed. You're trying to change. You've changed. But the thing is that you should always be evolving and evolving means to change in some way, right? Something is changing for this evolution of yourself to take place. And it's inevitable for you to be happy. It's inevitable. And People are always going to be, you know, aversive to this change, but that can't be a reason for you to not do it because you've got to think, I either change now and have people judge me or think I'm weird for wanting to change and, you know, have this thing, which, mind you, is short-lived because people get over it. People will talk and bitch and then they get bored and then they'll look for the next thing to talk and bitch about. So be like, I can be the subject of, of your gossip. I don't care. I'll be the subject of you laughing at me because I'm trying to instill this massive change and I don't care if I embarrass myself ha 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 ha, laugh for the next couple of months. You're going to get over it anyway. You'll find something else to entertain yourself with. And I've now made a change and I've done something positive for myself. But you can expect there to be some pushback when you're trying to make some big positive changes in your life. That's going to happen. Maybe not for everyone. Maybe you've got a fabulous network around you that's super supportive. But for a lot of people, they really resist change because they're like, oh, I'm going to be the laughing stock, especially if I'm new at something or a novice at something and I look like a fool because I don't really know what I'm doing. So if you don't want to change a certain aspect about yourself because of that, then you're never going to be satisfied ever because you're not living for yourself. You're not making the changes that are going to benefit you. And you're altering or editing or not editing your life to appease people that don't have your best interest at heart. So then you're just disappointed. So if someone's accusing you of changing, just say, thank you. If someone says you've changed, say, thank you. Cunt, that's the point, right? That's the point of being here on earth, to evolve. So if someone says you've changed, thank them. So basically, in summary of your reputation, you've got to look at it as it is basically a printout of the behaviors you've done in the past. And if I want people to look at me differently, it's A, not going to happen overnight because it has to be consistent behavior. So it has to happen X amount of times, 10, 20, however many times to rewrite that narrative about myself through my behaviors. And then the beauty of it is that you can't also be too hard on yourself because a reputation isn't broken by one thing. And it's also not made by one thing. So when you earn, earn your new reputation, 
you can have a slip up and it's not the end of the world because people see your track record. If you for the next six months, year have this this behavior of always being punctual on time, punctual on time, and then one time you're late, people will believe your excuse. People will be like, that's a legitimate excuse or that's that's a reason why you're late. If you are late every single time, then you're just talking shit because you're basically saying, there's this reason that I was late. But if it's every single time you're saying the, the real reason I'm late is because you're second. This thing was first. This thing was more important. You're second. However, if it's a one-off, then people will believe that you actually got caught up, that there was something that was not in your control. It's not possible that everything is always out of your control 100% of the time. That just doesn't happen. So you have to always say to yourself, it's okay to slip up a couple of times, but we're talking about what is my consistent track record 95% of the time, okay? And it takes months to change your reputation, but when you look back in six months' time, in a year from today, what could be different? What could you do right now today to make a change? And in one year's time, one year's nothing. Think about where you were a year ago. It's not that long ago. And think about how much can be changed in 12 months. It feels like when you say, oh, a year, you're like, oh, yeah, that's ages. But think about it from where you were a year ago. It's not that much time. And there's so much you could change. And you could be standing here in one year's time and earn yourself a brand new reputation where people describe you as this new version of you because you've made these decisions. So go through those things, identify the behaviors, ask yourself, what was my decision around it? Ask yourself, what's the consequence? Was the immediate consequence or is there not immediate consequences? And how is this impacting my decision to change or not to change? And how can I bring this consequence to the forefront so I'm more likely to make a change or to to decide to change? Um, And then just accept that people are going to say stuff. That's going to happen. You can't avoid it. So just um, prepare for it. Don't think, oh, it's definitely going to happen and I've got to think about it all the time. But just be like, I'm aware that there's a big chance that people are going to say this. Cool. Moving on now. I think if you can just prep yourself for it, then you can, it's it's not as difficult when it does happen because you're like, ah, there it is. I knew this was going to happen and it happened. It's fine. Moving on. Okay. So that is the episode of today about your reputation. Hopefully that's inspired you to kind of reshape how you want to see yourself and how you want others to see you as well. Um, That is all for the episode of today. Now we're going straight into our listener question. You have one unheard message. All right, listener question. Hi, Alexis. I would really love your perspective on this problem I'm having currently with a friendship. Well, an ex-friendship. I won't go through the details of what happened as it's quite long, but I'll try to summarize. Me and an ex-best friend had a fallout over two years ago now, and the effects are still lingering and affecting me, only because this friend is part of a wider group of friends that we've been in for many years. I have to still see and interact with this girl only the odd time when I choose to go on group events while everyone is together. So it's not all the time. Although this is hard for me, I do it for the sake of not missing out on some important group things with my friends. Interactions are short, 
but fake and forced. I hate the awkwardness, but I just get on with it. Even in the group chat, we basically just ignore each other. Now that I got engaged, I can't help but think what to do with her. Should I invite her to the hen's party and wedding to keep the peace for me and the group? I don't want any stress or drama, so not sending an invite will give me anxiety on what might unfold after. She is very close to some in the group, more than I am. I will definitely be met with questions and criticisms from them. On the other hand, why would I want someone attending that I think would not be genuinely happy for me and who has treated me badly in the past, in particular, purposely excluding and ignoring me? That's one of the main reasons for the initial fallout. I really changed my view on her and I blatantly dislike her and I think she's not a good person. Why should she get an invite from me when she never showed me such concern when ignoring me? I feel like a non-invite to such big events will be a big statement, so it's a big decision. She may not even attend if I invite, if an invite is sent, but the absence of the invite will definitely ruffle some feathers. Sorry for your for the long message. That actually was not a long message. That was great. Um, okay, thank you for writing in. I personally, I'll get to my advice straight away and then why. I would not invite her. Absolutely not. Now, how to go about that? Your main issue here, the thing is, your main issue is not about not inviting her. If you didn't have the same mutual friends, you absolutely would not be inviting her. So the reason of your stress is about your mutual friends. It's not about her. Because if it wasn't for these other people, she would never even be in your life. It wouldn't factor into your, it wouldn't be on your radar. Okay. So that's number one, that you're not doing it for her. You're doing it for your friends. So she's not your concern right now. Now you're worried about the fallout or issues within the friendship group. Um, so if I were you, me, Alexis, personally, what I would do is I would speak to my friends. You can do this on a one-on-one or as a group and say, I don't want you to pick sides. I'm just telling you guys what I'm going to do because we are all friends. We're in a friendship group and there's a mutual friend situation going on here. And out of respect for everyone and and just to, to be transparent, I do want to explain what I'm doing. But we are not friends. We would never hang out one-on-one. This is my wedding. I know she doesn't like me. Say what you want to say. I'm well aware of how she feels about me. So I just don't feel it appropriate to have somebody that doesn't like me or isn't friends with my partner to be at the wedding. And weddings are supposed to be a celebration of love. It's the closest people to your life that watch you get married. That is what a wedding is. It's not keeping up the appearances. It's not although a lot of people do that, but the the main reason for a wedding is to celebrate your marriage with the people you love. If you don't love her or if your partner, your, your future spouse doesn't love her either, then there is no point of her being there to celebrate your wedding. End of story. I would speak to my friends about it. I mean, I'm sh- I hope you have a healthy dynamic with your friends. And I would say, I don't need you. I'm not here. So you- so it looks like I'm bitching about her. I don't want to look like I'm saying anything behind her back. I'm just letting you know that this is the reason why I'm not inviting her. We do not have a relationship, full stop. And I don't know what your budget is, but I would not be having people at my wedding that I don't like, especially when you've got to pay for that fucking thing. So not a chance in hell. Also, do you want that awkwardness? And if your friends have a problem with it, just say, you're welcome to invite your enemies to your wedding, but I'm not about it, okay? So love you all so much. She will not be invited. And if she's got a problem with it, really, what's the fallout? You already don't talk. What is the issue? The biggest thing that's going to happen is that she's going to bitch to your friendship group about it. 
She, she might already be bitching about you to the front. Who knows what she's already doing? But if you don't like each other, where's the fallout? It's not like you're pretending to be friends and you've had this realisation and you don't want her to come. Just if the friendship isn't there, it's not there. I would never, I mean, I don't know what this woman's like, but I would never expect to be invited to a wedding of someone who I dislike and who knows I dislike them. So she's probably not even expecting an invite. And if she is, well, is that not her problem? Like how delusional would you have to be to expect a wedding invite and to want a wedding invite of someone that you strongly dislike? Like get a grip on reality. So I honestly, it's, it's, a, it's a very clear answer for me. I would not invite her and I actually would have a chat to my friends. If they're good friends, I would just say, I'm just letting you know ahead of time, these are the reasons I'm not inviting her. We are not a friend. We don't, we don't have a friendship. We don't have a relationship. We never interact one-on-one. I would never see her one-on-one. So why would I be inviting her to my wedding? And I just wanted to give you guys the heads up so it's not a weird thing when the invites go out, but that's what's happening. And I don't want you guys to bitch about her. I don't need to hear it from you. I'm just letting you know. That's what I would do. And you don't have to feel bad about it because what's her response going to be? How dare you not invite me to your wedding when I've treated you like shit? Like, what, what is she going to say? There's literally nothing that needs to be said. So that would be what I would do. You don't even have to address it. Just tell your friends about it. But she's not invited. Not a chance in hell. And you're saying that here, you mentioned that you say, I don't want any stress or drama, so not sending an invite will give me anxiety of what might unfold after. Ask yourself, what's going to unfold? What can unfold? What can she do? She doesn't have, like, superpowers. She can't fucking, like, what can she do? She's not coming. And if your friends are legitimate friends, they can see that there's been a fallout and they respect that. Like, when I've, in, in my, right now, can't say it's happened lately, but in my past, when friends of mine have had a fallout, I can maintain a friendship with either friend, but I don't say anything to the other friend. I don't get involved. Okay. I can still have a really good friendship on one side, really good friendship on the other side. And I respect the fact that they have made an adult decision not to be friends for whatever reason. It's none of my business. So you can say that to your friends and you can say, you've got to respect that we're both adults and we've made this decision, whether it be fair or unfair, it doesn't matter. We've made this decision. We're not in each other's lives because we think X, Y, Z of each other. That's it. And if your friends are decent adults who think they're going to realize that you are completely in your right to not invite her. So there will like, what's going to unfold after? Just think what's the worst case scenario really that she's going to bitch about you, but you already don't like her. So it's really not that bad. Anyway, that's what I would do. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you so much. I love you all. And if you liked that episode, please leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts because it really helps the show to grow. And always remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke. Listener.